Well, today we conclude our time uh, looking at the Lord's Prayer, what we often refer to as the Lord's Prayer, and our series, Teach Us to Pray. And so for me, it's been a, a rich, uh, more in-depth look at this prayer than I've done in a while, and I know God has kind of refilled my heart and, and really inspired me to be using this prayer more regularly in my time with Him. And maybe you found it to be the same as well. As we've walked through this prayer, we've been reminded of some things, challenged with some things. The idea of who are we praying to, our Father in heaven, this God who is both great and wonderful and amazing and totally different than we are, yet wants to be in relationship with us. It sets this God apart from any other God that we might pray to, a God who is both great and wants to be near us, and that's a great thing. This God that we pray to, we, we pray starting not just asking for things for us, but we are taught in this prayer, pray, hallowed be your name. May your name be seen for who you are. Your name represents the person, and God, may you be known in my life and through my life and my community and my sphere of influence and in this world for who you really are. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And God, not my will, what I want, my agenda, but God, help me to submit to what it is you want to accomplish in this world. And then we kind of move to praying for our own needs. And we saw about praying for God's provision, give us today our daily bread. And we're reminded that even with our efforts and all that we put into it, and we are and we should, that God is ultimately our provider. He is the one who gives us what we need each and every day. We are dependent upon him. We also saw that we asked for forgiveness, for pardon. God, would you forgive us our sin? And always in mind that as we recognize how much God's willing to forgive us of everything, we too need to be ready to forgive those who may have hurt us. And that's not always easy to do. But again, to reflect on how much God's forgiven me enables me then to forgive those who may have hurt me as well. And then this morning we come to the third of these three requests that we make to God and perhaps this is the one that's the most challenging to understand. And it says, simply says this, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We're praying for God's protection. It's the idea in this prayer, please don't do this, God, but do this. It's two sides of the same coin as we ask for God to protect us in the world in which we live. I don't know about you, but even this statement raises some questions in my mind. When we read, lead us not into temptation, would a holy, perfect God, remember, hallowed be your name, you're holy, you're perfect in every way, morally right, would he lead us into temptation? Is that something he would do? Is there something maybe more that's being said here? I think it's something we need to wrestle with. And we will. We're going to unpack this this morning, and I do need to warn you, it may get muddier before it gets clearer. I do hope we get to the clearer part, but you can be the judge at the end of the day if we get there. But it's, it's, it's about unpacking what's going on here and how these words are used in Scripture. When we think of God leading us, what are some of the images that might come to mind when we think of God leading us in life? And maybe if you've been around the Bible for a little while, you might be familiar with one of the most famous passages of Scripture, Psalm 23. And it starts by saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside quiet waters. And we read that, we're like, well, I'm all about that. You know, I like to be led by quiet waters to peaceful places where my soul is going to be restored or refreshed. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And we think of God leading us and he would lead us in the right direction, right? That would make sense to us and places of restoration. 
Or maybe the last verses of Psalm 139, where the psalmist writes, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And then the last line, and lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me in the everlasting way. Again, that's something we might expect of God, that he would lead us in the right direction, the way that we should go. But when Jesus used this phrase, sure, he was aware of that in the Psalms and other places in the Old Testament, absolutely, and that is a way that God often leads us. But there was another dimension that Jesus had experienced, actually just a few chapters before we get to his teaching on the Lord Prayer, we see him go through something, and it's described to us in this way, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, you'll see it on the screen, it says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now there's a lot of clauses and phrases there, but don't miss this. He was led by God into a place where he would be tempted by the devil. He was led not beside still waters, not to have his soul refreshed, not in the way that leads to everlasting life, but to be tempted by the enemy. Isn't that God leading Jesus into temptation? And how do we deal with that? How do we work through that? Well, to add to the muddiness, at least in the present time, you may have a note in your Bible, if you would look it up and look up Matthew 4, 1, or any place that the word test or temptation occurs in the New Testament, you probably will have a note that says something like this. The Greek for tempted can also mean tested. Oh, well, that's helpful. So now everywhere I read the word tempted or tested, it's actually the same word. So how do I differentiate? How do I know the difference? What is going on? on here. So maybe God led Jesus into the wilderness to be tested, but what's the difference? Well, if you have a Bible, there's a helpful passage, I think, that will help bring some clarity, and that's found in James chapter 1. So if you have a way to look at scripture, I want to encourage you to open to James chapter 1. James is a real practical book filled with a lot of just action-oriented things. This is what you need to do. He doesn't pull any punches, and he opens the book by talking about this idea of going through trials. And in verse 2 of James chapter 1, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. What he's saying is you're going to go through trials in life. We can probably all relate to that. Either you are right now, you have been, or you will be going through some kind of trial, a difficulty in your life. And being a follower of Jesus does not exempt us from trials. It doesn't mean because we follow Jesus that life all gets easy and simple. No, it it can still be difficult at times. We all go through this. And the attitude that James encourages us to have is don't like be puzzled or upset by that. Count it joy, not the trial itself. It's not fun to go through trials, but understand that God put that or allowed that trial in your life for a reason, and it's a good reason to develop perseverance, to develop your relationship with him, to help you to have a deeper faith and trust in God. And that's the good that he wants to bring out of this. He goes on in verse 12. He says, blessed is the one, so we read verses 2 and 3, now jump down to verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So we see here two times in these verses, there's this link between trials and testing. You go through these trials, God's testing your faith, and what are we called to do? Persevere. Don't give up. 
Because when trials come, the temptation is to say, God, I don't like what you're doing. It's not what I would want. So therefore, I'm not going to trust you. I don't see how you're good in this situation. And I'm going to go my own direction. And James is basically saying, don't do that. In those trials, persevere. Hang in there. Keep trusting God. Because know that he wants to accomplish good in your life and in the life of others through this testing and this trial that you're going through. But then in verse 13, the word shifts. Notice he says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Five times in these two verses, he uses the word tempted or tempting or tempt. And it's clear, God doesn't tempt anyone, he's saying. Now, what's interesting is the word trials, tests, and temptations in this passage are all the same word in the Greek. So, how do we know which is which? How do we know when to use tempt versus trial, for example? What helps us to understand? There's a principle that we often talk about here, and you've probably heard it in other places. When we approach the Bible, one of the rules we need to follow is that context determines meaning. We teach this in our class on grasping God's word and the idea, the importance of when you're reading a passage of scripture and you're puzzled by it or you're not sure which way to go and how to understand it, look at the context. Look what comes before it, look what comes after it, even the context of the whole Bible because scripture will not contradict scripture. So the idea of context is really, really important. So let me kind of zoom out for a minute and look at the context of kind of what the Bible reveals about these words. We do see in Scripture clearly that God tests people. An example is Abraham with Isaac in the Old Testament. It was clearly a test that God tested Abraham's faith. He didn't want Abraham to do the wrong thing. He was testing his trust in him, and he asked him to do perhaps one of the most difficult, if not the most difficult thing that a parent could do with his only son. It was a test. And God desired for for, uh, Abraham to pass the test, and he did. Another time that God tests people is Moses and the Israelites in the wilderness. If you remember when we talked about provide or give us today our daily bread, we talked about the manna in the Old Testament that God provided for the Israelites and how they had certain instructions. Only pick up what you need for the day. On the sixth day, you can get enough for two days because I don't want you to work on the Sabbath day. That's to be a day of rest. And he gave them kind of these guidelines and rules about how this was going to work. And it actually says in the scripture to test them. Will you do it the way I've told you to do it? And God often does that with us. He sets up the boundaries and then he says, are you going to do it the way I told you to? Or are you going to do it your way? Are you going to go outside my boundaries and try to figure this out on your own? And we saw that many of the Israelites did that. They tried to collect when they shouldn't have or they collected too much and it didn't work out for them, right? They were being tested. Or perhaps the disciples, when Jesus fed the 5,000, the story in the New Testament and the people are gathered to hear Jesus teach, and it's getting late in the day, and the disciples say to Jesus, hey, Jesus, maybe it's a good time to, to send the people away so they can go find something to eat. And Jesus turns to them and says, you give them something to eat. And again, I love to place myself in the shoes of people in Scripture. Like, can you just imagine looking over a crowd of over 5,000 people, and the, your leader just said, yeah, would you feed them, please? Let's provide dinner for them tonight. And you're thinking, with what? (laughs) We don't have what's needed. We don't have the the resources. But see, the scripture tells us as we're reading the story that Jesus did this to test them. 
He wanted to test, will you trust me to provide what you don't have? Will you trust me? If I tell you to do something, I'm going to provide what you need to do it. It's really that simple, but we make it a lot more complicated than that. Sure, right? So God often will test people. He wants to develop their faith. He wants them to learn more about who he is and grow stronger in their relationship with him. We also see in Scripture, in the big totality of the Bible, that Satan tempts people. Think Adam and Eve in the garden. You know, the the serpent appears and, and tempts Eve to disobey God, which she does. She makes the choice. She's tempted, and she falls in that temptation. Or Jesus in the wilderness. We just read that he was tempted by the devil. We know that was over a period of 40 days. In fact, Satan is even referred to as the tempter in the New Testament. It's one of his names or titles because that's what he does. Now, in James chapter 1, we also see that it's not always the devil made me do it. Sometimes we would like to think when we do the wrong thing, well, you know, Satan made me do that or the the devil made me do it. And James makes it clear, no, sometimes you just did it. (laughs) You've got stuff in you that is attracted to things that are wrong. You and I have what's called a sin nature inside of us, right? We are, by nature, attracted to certain things that are not what God would want. And that comes not just from the outside, but from the inside. Now, sure, Satan loves to come alongside that and also use that to kind of push us in a wrong direction. But some of that comes right from inside our own hearts. And that's why each of us needs a Savior. We each need Jesus because we don't get it right. And we have that, that inner sense of wanting to go the wrong direction at times. So what we've seen so far is that God won't tempt us, but Satan will. God will test us in the form of trials and challenges that we go through. So the natural question may be, how do we know the difference? When we face a challenge, is it a temptation or is it a test? And my answer to you, which is highly helpful, is you may not know. You really might not. You might not fully know because on the outside as you approach it, it may look, it could be either one. You could make a decision in this trial to go down a road that God doesn't want. Is Satan trying to get you to do that? Most likely. It could be an opportunity to demonstrate your faith and trust Jesus and do the right thing. Is it a test? Could be. So we may not always know necessarily which category to put it in, but what I want to show us is that's not what's really important. What we do know is this. God tests us for our good. The character of God is that he loves us, and his love is never is turned off. He doesn't pause his love at any point in time because he's got to be angry or, you know, just. No, when he's just, he's just and loving all at the same time. So when he tests you and I, it's always motivated by love. He always wants what's best for us. So know that if you're going through something, what God wants is that he loves you so much that through that trial, he wants to draw closer to you in relationship. He wants you to learn to depend on him perhaps more than you were, to realize your need for him, to live in that dependence and acknowledge that. That's what God wants out of it. He wants you to draw closer to him. God tests us in love for our good to develop us and to develop our faith. But the enemy tempts out of hate. Know that there is an enemy, and that enemy hates us. He wants to destroy us. Satan tries to get us to do wrong, but God places tests in front of us to show that with his power we can do right. He wants us to succeed. Satan wants us 
to fail. From God's perspective, the goal of testing is to prove or demonstrate our faith. Think about Job and all that Job went through, right? We could say he's, first of all, he's identified as a righteous man. God kind of looks over all the earth and says, there's nobody like Job. And he follows me, and he's, he's not perfect, none of us are, but he's, he's, he's following me. He's doing a, a really good job at it. And of course, Satan comes along and says, well, of course, because look how much you blessed him. And so we're introduced to these characters, and you might ask, well, is this Satan tempting Job, or is it God testing Job? And we'll wrestle with that a little bit. But notice in this, in this story, when bad things begin to happen to Job, there's another character in the story, and it's Job's wife, and she has an answer for what Job should do. And her advice to Job is simply this, curse God and die. Curse God and die. It's very simple advice. So what she's basically saying is, why would you continue to trust a God who has done this or allowed this to happen to you? That doesn't make sense. So just curse him and then let go. Just die. Because there's nothing left after that. But Job doesn't follow that advice. Instead, the rest of the book is these rounds of conversations between him and his friends where he's constantly saying, God, I just wish you would show up because I want to plead my case with you. I, I, I don't think I've done, I haven't done anything wrong. And his friends are like, you must have done something wrong because look what God did to you. And he's like, no, I don't think I did. And they go back and forth and round and round. And we get to this point in Job chapter 23 where Job's crying out, God, I, I just want you to, to come. I, I look for you here, and I can't find you. And I look for you there, and I can't find you. But then he says this in Job 23, but he knows, meaning God, God knows the way that I take. He knows where I am. <laughs> and listen to what he says. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Job's attitude is, I want to pass the test. I want to pass the test. I want to choose to continue to follow this God who has allowed tremendous hurt in my life. And I understand for some of us that doesn't really make sense. For some of you sitting here or some people that you know, an event like similar, maybe not even all that Job went through, but even maybe just one of the things that Job went through is something that, that someone has had happen in their life and that's where they said, God, I can't follow you anymore. If you would let this happen in my life, I'm out. I'm not going to do this. But others of us choose to say, no matter, even though this hurt and it was really hard, I will choose to continue to trust because there is no one else and God is ultimately good and I believe that even what he allows in my life is out of love. And that was Job's choice. When he tested me, I will come forth as gold. My feet have closely followed his steps. I've kept his way without turning aside. I have not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. I've hung in there. Job is saying, just like James said, I've persevered. I'm not going to give up. Job persevered even as he questioned. And that's one of the things I love about Job. He didn't pretend like everything was okay or nothing bad had happened. No, he acknowledged it. He couldn't ignore it. It was right there in front of him. But with all of his questions, he continued to persevere. And God rewarded him for passing the test. So let me come back to the question, was God testing Job or was Satan tempting Job? Yes. Helpful, isn't it? Yes. Yes, God was testing Job's faith. Will you continue to trust me? 
Yes, Satan was trying to get Job to turn away from God and go in a different direction. Both were likely happening at the same time. We can't always distinguish the difference between the two. The same could be said about Jesus. Did his father test him when he went out into the wilderness? Or did Satan tempt him? Yes. (laughs) Yes. But unlike Moses and the Israelites... Jesus passed the test and demonstrated that he was the one who would qualify to take our place and pay for our sin. There was a sense of testing that Jesus went through in the wilderness. But Satan was also there tempting him, trying to get him to do what was wrong. Jesus withstood the test and that's why he was able to qualify to take our place. Think about being in school. I know for some of us that might be a while ago that we would have to think about it. But I know a lot of uh, college students are just finishing up their finals and high school students are anticipating, I won't say looking forward to, but they're anticipating finals coming that they're going to have to take, right? So what's the point of a test? You know, we would say a teacher is a terrible teacher if they gave a test to a student and be like, I hope you fail. I hope you can't do well. I'm going to try to do as much as I can to trip you up and make sure you're not going to get a good grade. We say, that's a terrible teacher. That's not how teachers are supposed to handle it, right? And thankfully, vast majority are not that way. The idea is the teacher wants the student to succeed in the test. So the teacher does what? The teacher teaches the students and gives them everything they need to pass the test. They've poured into them over time. They've taught them the lessons so that when the test comes, their hope and desire is to see the student do well. That's what they want because they care about their students. And a test is simply an opportunity for the students to demonstrate what they know, what they have learned. And in the same way, I believe that God has that in mind for us. When he gives us a test, he's already given us what we need to pass the test. And he wants us to do well. He wants us to pass. He wants us to to get a good grade, so to speak, because he loves us. He wants what's best for us. He wants us to come through saying, I did it. Now, I did it means I know that, just like a student should say, I know the teacher helped me to do it. The teacher got me where I needed to be. So we don't take all the credit ourselves, like I and I alone did this. Just like with God, we know he helped us to pass the test. But there is a sense of like, I passed and there's a sense of joy that comes with that and fulfillment and like, wow, I, you know, and, and drawing closer to God in his heart that God wants for each of us to experience. So how does all of this relate to Jesus' teaching on prayer? When Jesus says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, how does that connect to what we've been talking about? There was an article in USA Today back in 2019 that published that Pope Francis approved changes to the wording of the Lord's Prayer, also known as the Our Father. If you grew up in a Catholic tradition, you probably refer to the prayer as Our Father, the Our, 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 the our Father. So he goes on to say, instead of saying, lead us into, not into temptation, Catholics can now say, do not let us fall into temptation. The Pope said he thought the English translation of the prayer was not correct. In 2017, he had told an Italian news channel, and I quote, It is not a good translation because it speaks of a God who induces temptation. I am the one who falls. It's not him pushing me into temptation to then see how I have fallen. A father doesn't do that. A father helps you to get up immediately. It's Satan who leads us into temptation. That's his department. 
And I think in this case, he's on to something. I think he's on to something. He's wrestling with the same things that we're wrestling with. Would God really lead us into temptation? Is that really what this is saying? Even though we know the English words give that connotation, we understand that. But as we unpack and look at more of what Scripture teaches, what conclusion can we arrive at? And maybe it's better to say, lead us not, may better be stated, don't let us go down this road or keep us from going down the path that leads away from you. Don't let us go down those roads, Father, in your love. Would you keep us from going down paths that lead away from you? It's like what David prayed in Psalm 141. He said, do not let my heart be drawn to what is evil. Don't let my heart be drawn to what is evil. I know in my heart there's evil in my heart and it will be attracted to things that are evil. Would you please keep me from going down those roads? Would you, don't let me, don't lead me down those in the sense of don't let me go down them and protect me when the enemy tries to attack, to want to come alongside and encourage me to do things that are wrong. Would you protect me from that? It's like asking our Heavenly Father to block off those paths. We need His help, and we need to ask for that on a daily basis. We also need His protection. Jesus taught us, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Some translations have deliver us from evil. Maybe that's what your Bible says. It actually says the evil. Protect us uh, or deliver us from the evil. And the evil personified, some translations have said the evil one, meaning Satan, kind of the leader of those who want to lead us astray. Jesus himself said that the thief, referring to Satan, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Evil personified, Satan wants to destroy us. That is his goal. That is his mission. That's what he wants to do. We are in a spiritual battle each and every day. There is an enemy who wants to derail us and draw us down paths that are away from God. That is a reality, even though we cannot always see it with our physical eyes. And the problem is that we cannot stand against this enemy even in our own strength. We just don't have the power to stand against him on our own. But we also don't have to be afraid because we need to remind ourselves that God is stronger than the enemy. That it's not this yin and yang idea where there's good and bad and they're equal and they're vying. No, God is ultimate, the authority of this universe. And Satan is under his authority Everything that Satan does is under the permissive will of God. There's nothing that he can do that God has not allowed to happen. And I know that raises questions for us. I get it. Why would God allow Satan to do certain things? I understand that, and I'm not going to take the time to try to delve into that right now. But what I want us to understand that Satan functions under the authority of God. Just like if you remember the story of Job, right? Satan comes to God and says, yeah, let me do this to him. He's, there's nothing he can do to Job unless God allows him to do it. And God even sets limits. All right, you can touch this, but you can't do anything to him. Well, Satan comes back, all right, well, let me do something to him. Okay, you can do something to him, but you can't kill him. There's always limits that God has set for Satan's functioning in this world. He is the one who has a power and authority. God is. Satan can't do anything without God's permission. So no, he is not stronger than God. But he is stronger than us. And that's why we need protection. We're looking at this prayer, and we often refer to it as the Lord's Prayer. 
Some people refer to it as the disciples' prayer because Jesus taught his disciples to pray this way and that the Lord's prayer is actually in John 17 where Jesus himself prays to his Father. We actually get to listen in on Jesus having a conversation with his heavenly Father. What would Jesus pray for? And I'm going to read just a a couple of sentences out of that prayer of what Jesus asked for in John chapter 17. He said, Holy Father, protect them. He's praying for his disciples. By the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. He Basically, Jesus is saying, I'm going to be leaving. I protected them while I was with them. He's going to say, except the one that was destined to fall away. That's Judas. But he protected those others, right? Jesus did that while he was here. And now that he's leaving, he's saying, Father, would you continue to protect this group? of my followers, because Jesus understood that his promise to build his church was largely going to be started and and worked out through these men and those that they would impact and out from the ever-widening circles that leads all the way to us today. We sit here to some degree today because of those individuals that Jesus poured into and then released into the world to say, go and share the good news about me. And somewhere in your journey, if you're a follower of Jesus, someone or somehow God revealed to you the good news of the gospel, of who Jesus is and what he has done for you. And you are left with a decision to make. Will I trust him or won't I? It really is that simple. Will I trust Jesus and what he has done for me and him alone or not? Will I trust something else? And usually that something else comes back to us, right? And that's what Jesus intended, but he knew for that to happen, they needed to be protected, One other thing that stands out to me, notice why he prays for their protection. He says, so that they may be one as we are one. That's so powerful to me because one of the enemy's greatest desires is to destroy the unity in the family of God, in the church. He desires to destroy the unity of the church. He wants to see us all going our own way, not working together to accomplish what God wants. He wants us each to be saying, my kingdom come, not your kingdom come. But when we come together and we all collectively say, your kingdom come, that's what's most important to us. There is nothing that can stop the spread and the building of Jesus' church. Jesus promised that. Not even the gates of hell can stand against it. But sadly, sometimes the enemy does get in and causes distractions and disruption and disunity within within the family of God. And we've struggled with some of that, especially over the past two years. I think every church, especially in the United States, but even beyond the United States has. We've been tempted to go down roads of making other things the higher priorities than the calling of Jesus. And these other things are not bad things, things like politics, things like social issues, things like how we handle a pandemic. Those are all important things for us to wrestle with, but they are not more important than the unity that God has called us to, to spread the good news of Jesus. And we can't forget that. We can't forget that. And I love that he prays that, protect them that they may be one. And he says in verse 15, which you'll see on the screen, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. I've got a mission for these guys. Don't take them out. Like, they'll have their day to come and be with me. And I I look forward to that day, I think Jesus would say. But for right now, they need to stay. They've got a mission to fulfill. And you know what? The same is true for us. How much better would it be for us to be in heaven with Jesus? If you've read the scriptures and you understand anything about what heaven will be like, 
Paul said it, it is better by far for me to depart and be with Christ, but it's better for you that I remain, because we have a mission to fulfill while we're on this earth. One day, if you're a follower of Jesus, you will get to go and be with him for eternity and experience all the blessings that he has for you, which are more than we can even imagine. Even how God has described it blows my mind, and I know it's even better than that. I can't wrap my head around it. But as long as he's left us here, we have a mission to fulfill that God wants us to be about. So Jesus prays, protect them by the power of your name. Remember, the name represents the person. You have the most power, God. There's no one who compares to you, so protect them by the power of your name. I've protected them and kept them safe. Protect them from the evil one, Jesus prays to his Father. So when we put this together, it's like Jesus is saying that we should ask the Father not to let us go down roads that would lead us away from him or that we can't handle yet, and to protect us from the one who wants to destroy us. Father, keep us from going down roads that aren't good. And would you protect us from the attacks of the one who wants to destroy us and would love to come alongside and push us in directions that go against what you would want for us. We need your help. We need your protection. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. As we wrap up this morning, there's just one more verse I want us to look at. And this is a great one to memorize, a great verse to memorize. I remember doing this as a, a much younger individual and it has served me well in my own spiritual journey. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. He starts by saying, hold on. Those of you are saying, well, you never experienced a temptation like this. Because if you experienced the temptation that I experienced, you'd give in too. And right out of the chute, he's saying, hold on. Hold on. Just so we understand, just so we're clear. There's no unique temptation to you that no one has ever experienced before. As part of humanity, we all experience the same kinds of temptations. Now, now the details of it may be unique to each of us, but the, the source and the type of the temptation, we've all experienced these similarities as part of humanity. And it gives us this camaraderie of realizing, I'm not alone that there's other people who've experienced temptations too, because one of the things when we experience temptation, especially if we give into it, we may begin to believe, we isolate ourselves thinking, no one is as bad as me, or no one struggles like I struggle. And by the way, the enemy loves to do that to isolate us, to keep us away from brothers and sisters who could come around us and say, and maybe you've experienced this, where you've had the courage at some point to say, and you just say to a group of people or someone you're really close to, I struggle with this. I really struggle in this area. And it was really hard for you to say, and you're afraid they'd be like, oh, you struggle with that? Nobody struggles with that. How could you struggle with that? Right? That's what in our minds we play out that they're thinking. But usually what do we hear from them? Usually we hear something like, wow, yeah, I've struggled with that too. Or yeah, that makes sense. I could understand that. And we find that there's this support around us, if we would just open ourselves up to it, of people who also struggle, that we can do it together. Now, it doesn't mean in our struggle together, we're all like, well, then it must be okay because other people struggle with it too. No, that's not where we're going. What we're saying is in knowing that other people also struggle with it, there's support to say, how can we all lean on God better in this time of temptation? He goes on, and God is faithful. We sang about God's faithfulness. We're going to sing about it again in a minute. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. 
And I've highlighted in the verse on the screen the two things that God will do when we're tempted. First of all, he won't let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. I don't think this necessarily means in our own strength. It means as he gives us what we need to stand in the temptation, but he won't allow. That's the idea of don't let us go down roads, Father, that we can't handle. I got you. I won't. Any temptation or testing that you may go through, I've given you the resources. I've taught you what you need to know to pass the test. I've given you the resources to stand against the temptation. Know that I'm I'm faithful. I will do that because I love you. He won't let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. And secondly, he will provide a way out. He will provide an escape route. Now the question is, will I take it? (laughs) Because sometimes you might see the escape route and be like, Okay, I see it, but I just really want to go down this direction, and it's not healthy. It's not a good direction. God promises that he will provide a way out. What will that way out look like? It may be right when you're about to take a wrong step, a disruption that comes in, a phone call from a close friend. Hey, I was just thinking about you. How you doing? And you're like, oh, this is eerie. How did you know? They didn't know, but God just laid you on their heart to give you a call. Maybe some of you experienced that. Or some kind of interruption when you're just about to do something you shouldn't and, and it, you know, something happens that kind of, you know, all of a sudden you're like, oh, and you realize that that's a way out. Like God's saying, I'm giving you a way out. Still up to us to choose it, but he will provide a way out. God is faithful. He won't let us be tempted beyond what we can bear and he will give us an escape hatch. We just need his strength and the courage to take it. And I think a lot of times we find that strength and courage when we live in community, when we are willing to be open about the struggles that we have with others. That's why life groups and D groups and other things that we have here at Davisville are so important, these smaller opportunities to gather together to get real with each other and pray for each other and encourage and support one another. God, don't let me go down a road that I can't handle and protect me from the one who wants to destroy me and would pull me away from you. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you that everything you do towards us is motivated by love. And I admit, I sometimes have a hard time putting together what you do and uh, seeing how it's loving, but I do choose to believe and can't see completely from your perspective. And so I pray for all of us, especially for those who right now today may be going through a particular trial or testing or temptation. Maybe they don't even know the difference of which it is, but I pray that you would give us the courage and the strength to make decisions to move towards what you would want and away from what you don't want. That you would protect us from the attacks of the enemy. You've promised you won't put us in situations that when we rely on your strength, we, we can't bear up under. And that what you do allow temptation to come into our lives, you'll, you'll provide a way out. Because you are sovereign. You are over all things. And you are good. I pray for those who are struggling with a particular area of temptation right now. The enemy is hounding them and after them and pushing them in a direction that is not healthy for them or others, not pleasing to you. And whether we may be feeling that in this moment or we all have been there and are there on a regular basis. And I pray for the courage and the strength to look for the way out and to take it. 
I pray that we would be honest with others in community about our areas of struggle, that we would support and encourage one another, and that we would also celebrate with each other when we say no to temptation and walk in the way that you would want us to walk. And when we don't, when we fall, either because our own sinful nature just comes out and and we make choices that are wrong, or whether we give in to the temptation of the enemy that's pushing us down a road we shouldn't go down, I thank you that you're a God who's ready to forgive us and cleanse us and restore us and pick us back up and say, I'm here, I'm all you need, let's go again. I thank you for brothers and sisters who can do that with us as well. Be your hands and feet to encourage us and help pick us up. Not let us isolate ourselves and go down even further down roads we shouldn't. May we be willing to make use of those resources. And God, would you use us to be a resource in other people's lives. Help us to be the church that you intend us to be. To fulfill the mission that you've called us to in the world in which you've placed us. Help us to trust you no matter what and to regularly express our dependence and our need for you, and to receive what you so graciously offer to us, everything we need to live the life you've called us to live. And once again, thank you for your faithfulness, that you are the same day in and day out. You will sustain us, and you will complete the good work that you have begun in us for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray with gratitude. Amen. We're done this series. Uh, It's been rich and deep for me. I hope it's been helpful for you. And I know as I say these words that are familiar to most who have maybe grown up in the church or said them at different times, it has a a whole different dimension to it. So I thought it would be fitting for us as we conclude our time together to guess what? Say it together again. Would you read the Lord's Prayer with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Father, thank you for your son Jesus teaching us to pray. May we regularly come into your presence expressing our desire for your kingdom to be established on this earth, for your will to be done regularly coming, expressing our dependence upon you, that we need your provision, we need your pardon, we need your protection. We do not walk this path alone. You are with us, and we're so thankful for that. So dismiss us now with a sense of your presence in our lives, and may we live today in such a way, and this week, that we give credit, honor, and glory to you. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hope to see you at 6 o'clock. Have a great week, everyone.